Hey everyone, welcome to the Gateway Leadership Podcast. My name is Jordan Canestracy, and I am hijacking the Gateway Leadership Podcast to ask my dad, David Canestracy, a few questions. Uh, we had a great conversation, um, which we're going to break up into a couple different parts. But this first part, I'm asking my dad some questions about his story. I'm asking him about where he grew up. Um, and I'm asking him about how he met my mom and how they kind of started dating and their breakups. And I think it's going to be uh, really, really interesting for you guys to listen to. It's a great conversation. So I hope you guys will enjoy listening to this part of our conversation. Well, let's let's jump into it. So first, I want to talk a little bit about your story. Because I think that uh, there are a lot of people that are a part of our church and just a part of our circle in general that would love to know maybe a little bit more about your story. And you're not someone who, you tell bits and pieces, but you're not someone who spends a lot of time talking about yourself. And I think people are interested. And I'm interested too. Some of these, some of these things I don't know about, about you. But uh, you grew up in Hayward. Mm-hmm. That's East where yeah. that's where you lived with your parents, right? Your two brothers and your sister, right? And that's where you went to high school, right? Mm-hmm. So, what was high school? What was high school like for you? Uh, well, by the time I by the time I was in high school, I had already committed my life to Christ. So it okay. was radically different for me than my life before Jesus was. Um, kind of tragic and sad. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like all of us could testify, once Christ comes into your life, it, it just changes everything. So for me, um, my, the, the pain in my story was prior to receiving Christ. And the joy of my story was after receiving Christ. So, so I received Christ at age 14, which is right about the time, I guess, you go to yeah. high school. And, uh, you know, at that, at that point in my life, um, I had put all the past behind me and really had direction and purpose, actually, for maybe the first time, certainly the first time in my life, I had purpose, I had passion, I had a desire. So because my life at that time centered on our church, which at the time was called Calvary Gospel Temple, we were located in Sunnyvale. I really wasn't into the high school experience as far as school goes. Um, <clears throat> all of my friends were in the church. That was my source of purpose and joy in life. And so for me, high school was not a big deal. I tested out of high school early. Um, you know, I took the equivalency test at 16. And by the time I was 17, I had passed that test and enrolled in college. So for me, the high school experience was not a classic experience. I didn't go to my graduation. I had friends at high school, certainly. I'm not, it's not like I wasn't connecting to anybody, but uh, most of my life was focused on the church by the time I hit high school. What made you, what made you want to test out of high school at 16? (laughs) Well, I, I had a, I had a strong desire to serve the Lord, I had a very focused um, attention span, and it was not 
on what I was getting in high school. The topics that were being presented, you know, in high school, most of the teachers to me just seemed bored with what they were doing. Most of my peers <laughs> in high school uh, didn't seem all that excited. And I had a life, you know what I mean? I, I don't, I don't know right. if this makes sense, but I had a life. It was church and my friends and ministry. And so uh, I had made the decision to go to Bible school, uh, which was a which was not where I started, but my father helped me come to that decision. And so I just thought, let's get going. And when they said I could test out, I thought, I'm going to test out and get right in. I, I had vision and direction and purpose in my life, and high school just wasn't getting me where I wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. So so you got saved at 14, mm -hmm. and before you got saved, your life was one way. Uh was it just like a radical different, like, like, did you say goodbye to people that you hung out with before or did you, cause once you got saved, you mentioned that all of your, your life was the church. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much. I mean, uh, you know, I was smoking dope and I'm not proud of that. I was, I was with the wrong people. I was drinking. Um, uh, I had girlfriends and I just had a, a scene that I pretty much, yeah. I pretty much did leave behind. For me, it was night and day, okay. you know, uh, because of the difference. And I'm not like a Holy Joe or anything. I'm just saying that for me, my heart found its purpose. Right. And I, every, anything less than that was boring. Yeah. Wow. So at the church... You made friends at the church. So who did you hang out with at the church? Like, what were your friends like? Well, they were all, uh, you know, I got saved in something that's called the Jesus Movement, the tail end of the Jesus Movement, 1974. Young people were coming to Christ. And there are a lot of reasons for that. But just to say that there was a true, like, explosion of people coming to Jesus from my generation. And we were hungry, and uh, and we found each other. So in our church— Calvary Gospel Temple, young people were coming to the Lord, coming out of a life of drugs and rock and roll and, uh, you know, all the stuff that I had been into. And so they were finding their way into the church. So I was meeting new young people uh, that were as hungry for the Lord as I was. And so it was kind of like a movement. I don't want to overstate that, yeah. but but there really was something called the Jesus Movement. And we were hungry. We we wanted to pray and we wanted to read our Bible. So the people that I was hanging out with would, we'd go to Denny's and open our Bibles and just talk about the Bible and preach oh, wow. to each other. And it was very, very rich. It was a community. So you were, you were saved at 14. Um, and you also met mom at 14. Yeah. I did. Right. Yeah. You were 14 and she was 16. So what was that like when you met her? You met her at the church? Oh, I was I was instantly starstruck by <laughs> by Kathy Gonzalez. She was beautiful and is still beautiful. Uh, she's always been beautiful. And I remember a guy named Paul Lamone said to me, he was a young guy in the church as well, and he said, you got to meet this new girl. And so I was interested, and he introduced me, and it was, um, you know, she was a beautiful girl, and uh, she also was coming into the church as a part of the Jesus movement thing. You know, there were a lot of people at that time that that I was meeting, but yeah, Kathy Gonzalez was 
she she stood out to you right away for sure yeah she was gorgeous and i i'm i'm not i'm not so holy that i'm thinking only about you know where she's coming <laughs> from spiritually yeah, yeah she yeah. was beautiful to look at and uh we hit it off it it was uh you know not love at first sight but there was definitely an interest there do you think she was like struck with you i don't like think so no no i don't think so it took us about <laughs> it took us about a year to okay uh get together um but she certainly was very open and warm um i i think i was much more taken with her than she was with me yeah but i won her over so you pursued her i used every conceivable gift <laughs> Every tactic. No, yeah, I showed my interest. I think we had our first date a few months later. We used to do this thing at the church called the Sweetheart Banquet. And it would be, I guess, right about this time of year. Shoot. I'm not sure why. It was around Christmas time every year. But we would do a Sweetheart Banquet. And so everybody would have to find their date, you know, and get a corsage and, you know, dress up. And we would go as a church. As a, I mean, people from, you know, the church would do this. And we would go whatever the restaurant was that's so surprising to me the sweetheart banquet yeah. held by a church who started that uh prob probably probably our uncle our uh our uh, uh pastor c we called him pastor at okay the time. uh we weren't like you know we weren't like weirdos we believed in dating and, yeah and no love and romance i'm just surprised and, yeah. <laughs> that's surprising to me like you like you was trying to set people up or maybe not. <laughs> maybe it was. Maybe it was. He always believed that marriage was a good thing. And yeah. That, yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He was for it. That's so cool. So you guys met, and you said about a year after you met, you started dating. Yeah. And that was you were fifteen. She was about seventeen. Yeah. Which did she drive before you did? She did, and as soon as I got my driver's license at sixteen, uh, that was that was a game changer, and so our dating um, picked up quite a bit at that point because I was big man on campus with a <laughs> with a driver's license. Yeah, what was your first car? I had a nineteen sixty six Buick LeSabre, um, royal blue with a white top. Uh, but when I was when I was trying to make an impression. I would borrow my mother's 1976 silver Mustang II. Wow. That had cranberry crushed velvet velour uh, interior, um, and that was a that was a peppy. It was called a Mustang II. It was they don't make them anymore, but that was a her special gift from my father. And when I would get in her good graces, I could borrow that car and uh, take Kathy out for a decent date. In that That's car. so cool. <laughs> That's so cool. And then uh, you and mom broke up a few times, right? Yeah, we got together. We started seeing each other. And then uh, she decided that she, I don't know exactly what it was. Uh, she wanted to see other people. I think, I think all of my seriousness about ministry was probably a lot for her. You know, I think she, at that moment in her life, wasn't interested in a future with a wannabe preacher, yeah. you know, wannabe minister. And uh, and there were other guys in the church that she could think about. So I have to think that she felt us getting serious, and she she decided that it would be best if we would both see other people, which was, yeah. uh, you know, a big heartbreak to me. Well, yeah, I mean, it's probably, 
it makes sense because most teenage boys are not thinking about what they want to do with the rest of their lives. It's possible that I was a little too serious. Yeah. And I, I not think, about her, but I mean in life, you know, and, and, yeah. and for her, maybe she, you'd have to ask her sometime. Well, I don't know if I ever did ask her why she broke up. I think, you know, the way she said it was she just, she just felt like she wanted to see other people and she wanted that for both of us. Did she feel like you were as serious about her as, as, or as certain about her as everything else? No, I mean, I was, what was I, 17? I mean, you, how serious are you when you're 17? But I just think I was in Bible school. I was disciplined. I had, yeah. you know, I had a strong direction in life. And she was 18 or 19. I don't think she wanted to get so serious in life so so quick. So what what caused you guys to get back together like the last time, after the last time you guys broke up? Uh, well, a after that, um, you know, we we remained friends, and I would still try to date her, and I was still interested in her, and I was kind of stuck on her, to be honest. And we would still go out, um, uh, but but I got to the point with the relationship where it wasn't going anywhere, and then I moved on and decided to move on and just stopped calling her and stopped reaching out to her, and uh, that seemed to do the trick, strangely. <laughs> <laughs> strangely enough, you know, we had that relationship where uh, I worshipped her and she ignored me. <laughs> And that was the understanding. And then I broke the understanding um, by kind of moving on with my life and starting to date other people. And miraculously, she she pursued me then at that point. So, And then later, uh, we had one more breakup. This time, I was at the... I was the initiator of that The breakup. breaker. I was the breaker, not the breaky. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that I think was... Shocking to her? <laughs> no, we were no, I I it did it did I broke her heart, you know, because we were a little more serious at that point. And I don't think we had been talking about marriage, but I think that we had become pretty connected and uh that was a very brief breakup and we got back together and shortly after that, probably within a year, we were uh talking about marriage. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the, the age that the two of you met at, that's kind of the exception to the rule. Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of married couples that I know that met when they were 14 and 16. And that's even like for me, you know, I was in uh, youth ministry for so long. Yeah. And a big part of being in youth ministry is you see a lot of couples getting together at 14, 15, 16 and like declaring their love for each other. And, right. you know, so I'd be, I'd be sitting Maybe across. Maybe you don't want that to happen at 14, 15. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be one of the things for me was, was I'd have a, a, a young guy sitting across from me telling me how much he loves this girl. <laughs> and what was I going to say to him? <laughs> you right. know, cause my parents right. met when they were 14 and 16 and same with, same with, you know, young girl students telling me how much they were in love with this guy. And it's like, 
I can't say to them. So it's kind of a weird story as far as what you're, you know, it's a, it's a very unusual story to me. It feels normal because that, that was my, um, story. I consider it a a huge blessing, but I see what you're saying. It's, it, it doesn't happen like that. No, but I, I don't think it's weird. I think it's, I think it's cool. I think it, I've told a lot of people that, and everybody thinks it's so amazing that you guys met at such a young age. Um, so I guess for me, when I would be talking to teenagers, I would almost be sure, you know, in my mind when I'm talking to them that, that well, you know, you're going to meet a lot of young girls or a lot of young guys or whatever it is. But in my mind, I would also think it's possible, though. It is, and and I'll and I'll say this. I think it's especially possible when people have so much in common. In other words, if they, it wasn't like we just happened to be in the same youth group. We were a part of the same moment. Yeah. Does that make sense? Right. I mean, I don't want to overplay that, but there was such a passion for God. I mean, we had all night prayer meetings. We had. We were. We didn't have a youth group. Our church was one family, literally, yeah. like 100, 150 people that everybody knew everybody else. And we all had, you know, it was it was a diverse group of people in terms of generations and backgrounds and styles. And yes, there were a lot of young people coming in, but it wasn't all young people. Hmm. And we had this one thing in common. It wasn't that we were a part of the same group. It was that we were on the same hunger and the same journey for Jesus. And I think you would see more people that would find compatibility in an environment like that than just they happen to be a part of the same. I don't know if that's making any sense. Yeah, Our hearts were close. That was a close-knit group of people. And I think you have to understand the context in which two 14, 16-year-olds find each other. It's not like we were just two people in the same high school yeah. or two people in the same youth group. We were all running in the same direction. Yeah. That's something that's so amazing to me to think about. I think about it with me in April every once in a while as well, that, you know, the circumstances had to be, it seemed like just right. I, you know, we could have easily met other people and, but, and, and, and some people think, you know, that, that God doesn't have much of a hand in two people meeting. And I don't necessarily think that there's the one. I don't, you know, I think that there's probably like a group of people that God says, you know, I think you'd be totally happy and right. totally blessed right. and, and all that. But I do, I really believe that for me and April, that God had a major hands in the two of us meeting it could have been other people probably for both of us but he had a major hands in the two like that night that we met why were we both there you know it was like a night that that it it was but you had the same thing you had community together you guys were a part of a group of people that were that had definite direction and and this is what i would say to young people that might be listening or or that would say, man, when am I going to meet, you know, the right Right. person? My advice would be get around people 
that have a solid direction that resonates with you, get a direction and get around people that have that direction and run for God. And, and you'll look and pretty soon you'll see other people that are also running for God. Yeah. And that's where the compatibility is. To me, there's nothing as unattractive or as uncompelling as not having a direction in life. So make the Lord your direction and get around people who have that same direction. And it's not hard to find the right person. So you met mom, you started dating, and you were getting serious. And you said that when you were younger and you got, you gave your life to the Lord, that it was kind of like an instant transformation. Um, and you had a focus. Was it right when you got saved that you knew that you wanted to dedicate your life to the church as far as like for a career, like you knew you wanted to work mm. there or, or was it more like you had other ideas, but you knew that the church was always going to be at the center of it. For me, I had, that was a process. I had an interest. Again, if you have a radical conversion where it, it profoundly changes you, then you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I had that experience. And when I got filled with the Holy Spirit specifically, that was transforming for yeah. me, you know, and the healing that came into me and the, the joy and the hope. And it was like, I was, I was breathing. So I couldn't get enough of God. And I, there was a time there where I, where I wanted God to use me, but I was quite sure that he wouldn't want to use me because I had this passionate desire, but I had no faith and no confidence, Right. if that makes sense. So it's like being, I say it this way, it's like I, I would want to play on that team, but I don't think they would choose me for their team. Yeah. You know, uh, I wanted to be involved in the kingdom of God and ministry and, and all of that. But as far as me having confidence that I would be someone that God would choose, I had none. Yeah. But once, once I went through that learning curve that the desire for ministry is actually God's hand on you for ministry, that's yeah. what, <laughs> that the fact that you want it is an indication that God wants it for you. Yeah. When I got to that point, then yeah, I was cooked. There and then was so, no turning back. So what was what was that moment like when you decided that you were going to go for this ministry as as like a career? Was that like someone in your life telling you this is you know you got it? Was that just a, a moment that you had? Was it like a gradual kind of a process? Kind of a process of of getting working through all your insecurities, and I had them. And figuring out that, wow, when I, when I shared, there was, I had something to say. I had something to say to my peers. They would be helped by it. Hmm. Um, you know, you kind yeah. of figure out, wow, I, you know, I have some bandwidth for helping people figure their lives out and uh, understanding the Bible and applying the Bible to everyday living. And so it, it was a, it was a learning curve for me. But by the time I was 17, I was sure I, w I had no clue what I could do. Would yeah. I be a counselor? 
Would I be an international missionary? Would I be a prophet? Would I be, you know, it, it all sounded good to me at yeah. that point, you know, and, and really what I, what I wanted was just to be used by God. And that was confirmed to me prophetically. It's where the gift of prophecy really helps us mm-hmm. is because I got a prophetic word from someone who basically said, you know, they didn't tell me anything about what I was going to be doing, but they confirmed, this word confirmed, God's going to use you. Mm. And that was that was all I needed. Um, and yeah. I just I just jumped in, and that's where, you know, the whole conversation about Bible school and preparing for my future. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so at some point, you, you talked to your parents about this, and your parents loved the Lord as well. But how did they feel about you going into ministry? Well, it wasn't so. It wasn't so great. That wasn't such a smooth uh, process. My father had a plan for my life, a good plan. Um, he had tested me when I was sixteen with the personnel, the hiring test that he would give, you know, to people when he would hire them in the financial services and indus- uh, insurance industry. And whatever my score was, he was very impressed with that. And he got a plan that I was going to follow him into the insurance and financial services industry. He would hire me, and he had four or 5,000 clients. And his plan was eventually to retire and leave that client base with me. So when I said to my father... I no longer want to follow you into the insurance and financial services industry, but I would like to follow your Pentecostal little brother (laughs) who had a church of 150, right? I would like him to be my mentor and you not to be my mentor, in essence. And Pop was very successful with what he did. He was super successful. My dad retired when he was 54, financially independent and so he did very well you know in his in his life and uh, and it would have been a great life and maybe I would have been good at it but all I knew was that that couldn't hold a candle to the idea of me preaching teaching praying being involved in the church that was what I wanted to do so I look at it now, I'm 59 years old, I look at what that must have so- sounded like to my father at the mm. time, you know, to have your 17-year-old, 18-year-old son say, hey, I don't want to follow you, I want to follow your brother. That'd be one thing. And I don't want to follow you into a life of security and wealth and prestige and honor. I want to be a Pentecostal, you know, preacher, Right. Yeah. Um, that was not easy for him because his father had been an unsuccessful Pentecostal preacher. He had a heart for God, but oh, wow. he, he didn't ever, you know, make a life out of it. And uh, and his younger brother was a success. Emmanuel Canastrezzi was a success in his own field. But I, I have to think that my father wondered, is my son going to starve? Right. Is he going to be a nobody? Is he going to, is he going to be some country, uh, Pentecostal backwards, you know, has been kind of minister, right? Instead of being uh, a success 
And my father's a committed Christian, so he wasn't thinking that I was going to be a cocktail. Yeah, he was just being <laughs> practical. Yeah, 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 right. And and that was tough. That was a that was a test. Now today, my father is super proud of whatever I've accomplished, and he knows that God has used me, and yeah. people have come to the Lord, and we've built the ministry strong, and you know, he's very proud. But uh, at the time, I, th I think that was hard for him to swallow, for sure. Yeah, and that's quite, a, that's quite a moment for you, too, especially going from the lack of confidence, like, does God want to use me, to now you're sitting with your dad telling him, I don't want to follow you. This is this is what I want to do. Um, where do you think that kind of boldness came from? Do you think? Do you think that was just like the Holy Spirit speaking, <laughs> like giving you the the fire to say that, or where where does a determination like that come from? I would just have to say, I want to say that it would be God's hand on my life. I would have to say, um, in honesty, it was my own passion and desire. You know, desire is something that makes all the difference. I had no desire to do insurance and financial services, zero. Hmm. I mean, it, it sounded fine. It wasn't repulsive to me, but I had, I had desire Actually, I had a burden. Yeah, I was carrying something at that, even at that young age, that I, it, I didn't even have to think about it for very long. It wasn't even close. I wanted to be used by God. Yeah, and that's it. Wasn't necessarily that I believed in myself. It wasn't that I looked down on business because I didn't. But all I knew was what I felt deep inside. And there's something that, there's nothing like desire yeah. to guide your life. And if you ever figure out what you want, boy, that's, that's a moment in your life. Yeah. And I, somehow I knew what I wanted. Yeah. So what was his, what was his response to you? Well, he was a good father and still is a good father. He, uh, he gave me great advice, which I thought at the time was, was the end of my life. <laughs> uh, and he said these words that I will never forget. You will go to Bible school. You will get a first-class education. Hmm. And you will be a first-class minister, or I won't have anything to do with it. And I thought that was the end of my life because for me, I could go find a one-year Bible certificate. Our church had a Bible school at the time. I thought if I just went one year, yeah. I was going to be ready to take the world for Jesus. That was yeah. my, you know, seventeen-year-old mind, eighteen-year-old mind. Uh, but I, I, I understood what he was saying. I talked to my pastor about it, and he agreed. You know, obey your father and do it. And he might forget. A, he actually put his arm around me and said, your dad will probably forget about this. Don't worry. Just enroll in Bible school. And after a year or so, let's just see what happens. Well, by the time I got into Bible school, then I realized how important it would be for me to have a first-class education. And I embraced it wholeheartedly. And I, I knew 
you know, you go to school and you find out what you don't know. Yeah. And how important what you don't know suddenly is. And um, so I got that was the turning point for my life. And it was great advice that my father gave me. Yeah. So so you go from that to going to Bible school and uh, you're learning how to you're learning how to how to soak in uh, information. You're learning what you don't know. And then around what, nineteen eighty six, you think to yourself you know, I think I'm called to go to the Philippines. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I went to Bible school in 1979, yep. 1980, graduated in 1981, and got married in January of 82 and worked full-time at the church doing all kinds of jobs mm -hmm. uh, that I was assigned to do and being a part of the staff. Um you know, doing whatever needed to be done, running to the printer. And, um, you know, I wasn't like a star <laughs> of the Sunday morning, you know, service at that time. I was just one of the, one of the church employees yeah. working my way into whatever I could do, you know, the radio broadcast, um, and managing the radio broadcast and leading the Bible school and, you know, doing a few things like that. So, yeah, I did that for uh, four or five years, and we had a mission given to us, basically. Our church became the covering of a seven-acre missionary outpost hmm. in San Fernando, La Union, the Philippines. And so, so we got involved in it. We started hearing the stories of what was going on, and... Uh, Different families would go and visit. And did you ever go and visit before you we, went out there? We did. Yeah. The way the way so the way I got the bug for missions was that uh, Kathy's sister, Lisa Dahl, and my cousin Bill Dahl, who were also like us young ministers, they took the plunge and became missionaries like a year before. Hmm. So we went to visit them, and when we went to visit them. Uh, I was, I was struck by the missions, yeah. uh, bug and desire, and of course, um, Kathy was not. She <laughs> was. It was a third world country. She was pregnant already with your older brother, and she was not interested in being a missionary. And that's another story. Did you say to her, pretty quickly, man? I could, I could see myself being here. I could see us being. I think it took. Uh, I think it took a while, um, but yeah, I think it was within a couple of months of our return that I could not stop thinking about life on the mission field. And in fact, my uncle, my pastor, was encouraging me to consider it. Hmm. I think he thought it would be very good uh, for us, but um, it wasn't such a smooth story <laughs> as far as your mom was concerned. Yeah. So. So how did that go? You decided you decided God is really calling me to this and then you talked to mom or you you were talking to her kind of thinking out loud or was it like was she totally shocked when you told her? Uh No, I think we we would talk about it, but she, it was always a very short conversation. 
<laughs> she would get physically nauseated at the thought. Again, she's yeah. two, three, four months pregnant, and she's nesting. I mean, you know, she's trying to think of us nesting, okay? Right. Um, and we had just purchased our first home, and we were fixing it up, and this was not her direction. She was trying to pick out curtains and set up a nursery. And I'm talking about moving to a third world yeah. country. So it actually came to the point where I could not speak about it to her. And for the first time, honestly, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but that was the closest moment in my life, in my marriage where I felt, I think I have a marriage problem hmm. because I had, again, back to the desire Right? right. I wasn't going to abandon my wife or anything, but I knew what I felt. Right. And I felt so strong about it. And she was so totally turned off to the idea. I I had to wonder, am I, you know, is my marriage going to work? Right. Of course, it was not an issue for me. I was never going to divorce her or leave her or anything like that. But it was it was one of those moments where you say, man, how is this going to work? Yeah, you had to reconcile two realities. Two very, so I just, I got to the point where I had to surrender my desire. And I, I said to the Lord, either you're going to have to talk to me or you're going to have to talk to her. Hmm. Because I can't even bring this up to her without it becoming very tense and negative. And so I let it go. And sometimes you got to do that. You got to, you got to drop it. You can't keep pushing stuff and you have to trust the Lord. And uh, some months later, one of the missionary, one of the, actually one of the Filipino leaders came to the United States and he stayed with us in our guest bedroom. And he, his presence, um, mm -hmm. and I still did, I couldn't, Again, I was not bringing this up, and and by a miracle, your mother said to me, you know, I could see us doing that. Wow. And I thought, that is a miracle of miracles. And what I learned from that is that if if you relax and give it to God, if it's really him, yeah. he'll work in your life and he'll, he'll bring it around. Wow. So... After she kind of heard from the Lord herself and God got her heart pointed in, in the direction that he wanted the two of you to go, uh, you guys started <laughs> selling your stuff and, and getting ready to leave. Yeah, we got the plan. Uh, the plan, you know, God had to make the arrangements. I had to talk to my pastor and I had to, um, you know, we had to figure out what our role would be. But as it, as it happened... Another missionary was moving. There was going to be a vacancy. They needed a president uh, for the Bible school. And uh, her sister, like I said, her sister Lisa was already there. My cousin was already yeah. there. Others were, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a strong ministry. There was a team there, and yeah. And, but the the idea came, and it was decided uh, that I would make a good Bible school president <clears throat> at that time. And the arrangements were made we sold our home and uh, moved to the philippines you were three months old um no excuse me i said she was pregnant with yeah she was pregnant with you 
your mother was pregnant with you. Yeah. Okay. And Aaron, your brother was already born. That's right. Because when we went to the Philippines, uh, my mother watched Aaron while we traveled that initial, yeah, that initial time. So she was pregnant with you. It was decided that we would go. You were born, and we moved to the Philippines when you were three months old. Um, and your brother was like two and a half, yeah, three years old. Wow, that's wild. I couldn't imagine moving to a foreign country, even with Chloe six now. I I couldn't even imagine doing that with. I look back on it and I say, that had to be God because yeah, it, you know it was, uh, and I'm sure that everybody around me was thinking, what is wrong with this guy. <laughs> Was there ever a point where you asked that of yourself? Or no, I or wasn't said, smart I enough. Here? I wasn't smart enough to ask that question. Wow. Okay. So, so how long, how long were you in the, or how long were we in the Philippines? We we arrived in the Philippines in uh, February of 1988. I'll never forget it because that was just right after the time that Jimmy Swaggart a very famous evangelist confessed and he was in the midst of a scandal. And that was February of 1988 when we arrived and, uh, and we were there and seven, eight months into it. Um, my pastor, pastor of our church called and said, I'm thinking about who's going to succeed me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Who's going to succeed me as the next pastor of uh, at that time Evangel? And you're the you're the person that I'm thinking of. And I was in total shock and disbelief. And you're I said thinking, to him, "You know that I you forever. know that we just sold our home. You know that we've you were the person that sent us to the Philippines, <laughs> right?" And so he said, "Well, I understand. Just pray." And so we prayed, and that was a. That's another story, but how we came to accept the call of God. I think it was harder for us to come home than it was for us to leave. That's for sure. Did you think you were going to be, or did you think we were all going to be in the Philippines? So for when a long we time? when we went to the Philippines, we I we made a one year commitment, kind of as you would do, like if you took a new job. Or, yeah. You know, uh, it'd be a very big decision to move to a foreign country. So we put a one-year backstop into it, but did I think we were ever going to come? I, I was thinking, in my mind, this is this is my life. This is where we're going. Hmm. But we made that one-year kind of commitment, um, and six, seven, eight months in, we had some questions about, you know, how to do this, your education, your brother's education. We were we were realizing that we either needed to make a lifetime commitment or or not or go home right you know because you can't really change a nation in one year so you have to <laughs> you yeah. have to say okay look i'm going to learn the language i'm going to dig in i'm going to make lifetime commitments and friendships you know or at least multi-year friendships and commitments and and really dig in and learn the culture and get in with the people in order to really move the ball. 
So we knew uh, at the time that my uncle called us and said, would you consider coming home? We knew that it, that that was the right time for us to decide, hey, we need to really dig in here right. as, as career missionaries, or we need to do something else because you don't change a nation in a year. So once... Once you got that call, how long after that call were you back in the United States? Within six months. Okay. Wow. One more question that I wanted to ask you, kind of on a slightly different topic about about uh, your story. I'm looking at it right now. We're sitting in your office. It's one of my favorite pictures. I I know the basic gist of it, but I love this picture, and I wonder if you would explain the story. The picture is of you getting dragged off by two police officers. What's what's the story there, and why do you have this picture in your office? Well, after we came home from uh, the Philippines, I think it was within a year or two um, that we became involved in the pro-life movement. At that time... Um, Christians in general were very concerned about abortion and the growing uh, number of abortions that were taking place. And of mm -hmm. course, um, you read your Bible and you find out that the shedding of innocent blood is a titanic issue mm -hmm. in terms of God, okay? There's lots of sins and lots of problems and things we could get involved in. But uh, I think at that time, you know, it was a, a big, big concern. It's still a concern. Yeah. And, and so what we, what we did was we got connected with uh, people that were involved in the pro-life movement and decided to host a pro-life event at our church. And back in those days, this is 1990, 1990, 1991, uh, it was common for Christians to do like prayer meetings where they would surround a clinic. It sounds <laughs> it sounds a little politically incorrect now, but at the time it was a you know of course it was not politically welcome, but yeah there was there weren't big legal penalties for it. It was uh, kind of like a, a form of demonstration or protest, and we knew that there was an opportunity that was a chance that we would be arrested. But we felt like that the cause was just, and we weren't going to go to jail for years. Right. It was more like a misdemeanor, you know. And uh, so we got involved in that, and I, I, you know, I went. We were doing nighttime meetings um, for pro-life and praying, you know, that that this would change in America and so on and so forth. And they decided to do a a prayer meeting at a particular. Um, abortion clinic, a, a well-known abortion clinic. And we went and um, I was asked to move. And I decided that I wouldn't move, that I would just continue to pray. I was kneeling in prayer. And uh, it didn't take them very long. They they knew what they were going to do. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I refused. And I'm, I think within 10 seconds, I was being arrested. I ended up doing 10 days at Elmwood for that fleeting moment of wow. <laughs> civil disobedience. <laughs> wow. Any regret? No. 
I guess not. You have the picture in your office. No, the rules have changed. The rules have changed uh, now. And that it, you know, I was arrested for a misdemeanor, public, you know, nuisance or something like that. And the judge was making a point, you know, yeah. that uh, normally you would pay a fine or something. Like that. But in this case, these were Christians blocking an abortion clinic. And it was a very politically, you know, charged thing to do. So he threw the book at us and um, uh, no. I now, of course, if you do something like that, now you go to jail for years. I yeah, mean, they now throw RICO statutes at you, and it's a, it's a very different moment now. So I I don't think I would try to make a political point in the same way now as I did at the time. Yeah, um, but I look back on that, and I no, I don't think I have any regrets. Wow. Hey guys, next month come back to the Gateway Leadership Podcast. The conversation continues with me and my dad. And uh, it was a good section of the conversation that we had. We're talking about family next time. We, Me and my dad have worked at the church together for a long time. And, uh, and of course, he's worked with my mom for a long time, his partner. And now he has two daughters-in-law working at the church. So we're gonna be talking about family dynamics working together and kind of some of the things that we have dealt with as a family all working together. It's gonna be a really, really good part of the conversation. So I encourage you to be here next time for the Gateway Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Gateway Leadership Podcast with David Kinnis-Gracie, inspiring you to lead in every area of life. We'll be releasing a new episode every month, so be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Gateway City Church is one church that meets in multiple cities. To find us or to learn more, visit mygatewaycity.church. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next month. Thank you.